content warning, this podcast contains mentions of self-harm and discussions of mental health and trauma. Hi, thank you so much for listening. My name is Hannah. My pronouns are they, them. You are tuned into a podcast on queer folks' favorite tunes. This is Queer Sounds. Um, my guest today is part of me dealing with my uh, own diagnoses um, because, you know, I figured, hey, uh, I, I got diagnosed with autism at the age of 27. So I figured, why not invite some people on and talk about it? Um, hi there, Chris. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Um, before we dive into the, the, the thick of the episode, something I want to get out of the way first. Um, you're a dad, and as a literal transparent, I always just kind of want to ask, how did you go about gendering your child? Um... In all honesty, it is still a process. Um, I my daughter is adopted, um, so we are defining her gender based on the um, biological sex she was born as. However, we are giving her um, opportunities to not be defined. By gender roles, um, I'm not. Um, as a trans dad, um, it's been complicated because my own journey did not transfer to my parent journey so smoothly. Um, I did not realize how much was involved in gender roles even even what clothing options are available. Um, so it's something we are still navigating and it's something that we're making sure um, it's not the only thing that defines gender in our household. So we're, we will be talking about gender expression, gender identity, and um, the... Um, gender you're born as because it's all part of the conversation and journey as well um and as she grows and asks questions as she interacts with her own journey whether her identity shifts or many things make up who we are so it's a part of the larger conversation and she's going to be two tomorrow so I'm sure that will change as she grows and we continue to grow as a parent as well. You're describing it as a process and from the way you're talking about it, um, it sounds like a go with the flow type of thing, but also in a way that's like very, you're anticipating a lot of stuff can happen. How, how does this uh, like explicitly come back in your daily life. Can you name some examples of, or, or, or little anecdotes in which something along those lines came up? Um, so one um, example was yesterday, we were at the park and everyone, when we're at the park, refers to my daughter as she. She's so pretty or she runs so well, um, but we have had occasions, and yesterday wasn't the first time, but where someone will ask her while pointing to me, is that mommy or daddy? Because they can't figure it out. And my daughter, being who she is, will point to me and say, daddy. It's like she's not quite two. She will be two, so it's... Like, developmentally, she's not, we're not having extensive conversations with her. But it is something that when we have been out in public, um, people do not, some people have not known how to refer to me as, like, what gender I am. Um, it's been bothersome that they ask her. Um, and I'm not sure what that's going to turn into. Um, 
the same um thing happened when we were with my family um my parents are still going through the process of learning to use my correct pronouns so sometimes there have been slips of where they're referring to me as mommy instead of daddy um or they'll make a comment about well those are boy clothes not girl clothes and it's like they're just clothes so um those are the most recent examples um especially since my daughter's a toddler um that we've encountered um and i know from my support groups and other experiences that this is just the beginning there's no way of knowing exactly what we'll encounter but we will encounter stuff as a family it comes just with the territory of being a queer family with different identities all right and from a um recent examples uh from some recent examples let's go into a musical memory the first track for today round here by counting crows it's about the front door like a ghost into a fog where no one notices the contrast of white on white and in between the moon and you angels get a better view of the crumbling difference between wrong and right well, i walk in the air between the rain through myself and back again where i don't know maria says she's dying through the door i hear her crying why i don't know around here we always stand up straight Around here Something radiates Maria came from Nashville With a suitcase in her hand She says she'd like to meet a boy Who looks like Elvis And she walks along the edge of where the ocean meets the land Just like she's walking on a wire In a circus She parks her car outside of my house And takes her clothes off Says she's close to understanding Jesus And she knows she's more than just a little misunderstood She has trouble acting normal when she's not is off of the album August and Everything After, um, Counting Crows, 1993. Do you remember why you picked this track for today? Um, I do, actually. It was my first song that I decided I liked by myself with no other influence. And I was also um, really struggling with mental health issues at the time. I was 18. Um, and I had just got out of the um, psychiatric hospital while during my freshman year of college. And that song made me feel like I wasn't alone. Someone got me, even if I didn't get myself at the time. 
Um, and it made me hold hope that things could get better. Is that because of the lyrics, because of a soothing melody? I, um, what's, what made you feel that way about this song? Um, I had found out that the lead singer had a dissociative disorder. Um, and I was diagnosed at the same time with one. Um, and to know that he was out there and singing and to read about his journey. And I remember watching the music video and listening to the lyrics. I was that person, like walking with my bags, trying to figure out where to go and not feeling like I belonged here. And not knowing how to get out of my head. And all the things that were going through my head were really terrifying and scary. It was all of that in combination together that, like, that song was on repeat. And it's like, round here, someone gets me. Even if no one else does. And one day, I'm not going to be walking in the same path in the same circle, trying to figure out how to hold on to life. Do you remember the first time you heard this song? Um, it was actually the day I got discharged from the hospital. A friend met me at the, um, the nurse's station on campus where I had to stay after being discharged. And the song had been impactful for her, so she said she just wanted to share it with me um and ever since then it's been one of my top favorite tracks that I go to even now if I'm struggling it reminds me of my journey other people's journeys that I'm not alone and where I've been and where I am today you um specifically mentioned with everything being so terrifying and scary like is um music a coping mechanism for you Yes, one hundred and ten percent. In what, in what context do you find using music as a coping, uh, coping mechanism the most effective? Um, I actually use it a couple different ways. Um, I use it as a calmer. So, if I'm really agitated or overloaded, I can put on my headphones and have calming music that will help calm my body and remind me that it's okay, I'm safe. If I'm feeling really, really heavy emotions that I tend to have a history of dissociating from, I will also use music that represents that feeling to actually connect to it, to be able to, um, interact in a healthy way and it's like my emotion goes into the music I'm listening to um and that helps me um navigate it in a healthy way because I do have a history of self-harm so by using the music in that way it's actually helped me not self-harm in certain situations let's let's get back to the beginning like if you're using coping mechanism uh, when you're using music as a coping mechanism what is it that you're coping with i'm coping with sensory overload which sounds counterintuitive but being able to have the music on and block out all other sensory input actually does help me calm um i'm dealing with trauma which comes to me with flashbacks and nightmares and the music helps um filter that for me i'm using music to cope with honestly also being in an autistic parent being a parent for me there's stimuli all the time um and the music actually It's a way for me to stay present in the moment and cope with being very overwhelmed and very overloaded. But yet, 
I can still sing with my daughter or have her sing along to the music. And it kind of brings that overload level down to a manageable point for me. Especially the combination of having a toddler around the house and sensory overload seems like a lot to deal with. How, how, do, you, how do you do it? Uh, one moment, one day at a time. Um, I do a lot of counting. We do a lot of music. There's music playing probably 90% of the day. I've learned to have my music become her music or her music become my music, basically. So where I used to listen to a lot of my own music, now I listen to a lot of Elmo and toddler music, but the ABCs, the counting, all of that helps me. It actually helps me regulate so that I can manage my overload better. If we're going back to the uh, example you managed around here by Counting Crows, when did you start listening to that? Because from the way you've been telling your stories, it sounds like it's a relative recent discovery, whereas the song itself is like almost 30 years old. No, I, um, that song, I first heard that song in 2002, uh, when I was 18. I have not listened to that song since my daughter came home, uh, which was in December of 2020. So I sing it in my own head because I, I listen to it so much and it's a calmer for me that I can sing my own lyrics in my head to that song, but I have not actually listened to it since she's come home. And I used to play it all the time from 2002, even in 2019, I was still listening to it. It was a part of my favorite track list. I mean, if it works, it works. I mean, I'm loving how like music doesn't age that way. Like if it just stays fresh, it stays fresh. Um, the reason um, why I asked is because um, with your autism you got also like diagnosed at a later age um so i was thinking maybe there's a connection that way but um how would you describe your taste in music today is it more elmo or is it more counting crows um it's a little bit of trying to get back both and i would call it counting crows meets elmo so I, uh, I'm trying really hard, um, to find even just 15 minutes in a day where I can listen to my own music, my track list. So Elmo is still a part of my day, but my goal is to get at least five to 15 minutes of Counting Crows back into the day. And then who knows, maybe... One day there will be a, a Counting Crows Elmo remix where you'll have both. That sounds like one hell of a feature. So how do you experience those 15 minutes? Is it just some time to like get away from everything? Is it time to catch your breath? Or is it like actually a lot of hard work and a lot of stuff to like process? You're putting effort into calming down. Um... Depending on the day, it can be any of those things. Toddlers come with tantrums. So tantrums add an extra level of sensory and cognitive overload for me. Um, so on those days, it literally, that 15 minutes is just to breathe and like just take a break from every single input. Those are the days when the lights are off, the sound is off, everything is off. And usually I'm just pacing back and forth to kind of regulate my body. Um, 
other days on the not heavy tantrum days where the routine is good, everything kind of falls into place. It's more of me taking a break, putting my headphones on in the dark and listening to Counting Crows or another song. Um, I've been much more on the trying to discover new music lately um, that's calming or my meditative music. And then you have the days where, like, we're all human, so my overload does get the best of me. And those are the days when usually the 15 minutes are me trying to process and kind of reset so that I can be more regulated and kind of, like, finish the day out on a a different note. It sounds like these uh, designated music moments are mostly like at the end of the day. Um, what uh, what what else is on that playlist other than like County Crows? Could you name some artists? Um, I have Billy Porter on the playlist. Um, I have Michael Jackson. I have Prince. Um, I have Mandy Moore. I had the Jackson 5, Stevie Wonder, um, Joy Oakland. I do have Aerosmith. What type of mood are we thinking? Because at the end of the night, I'm thinking like meditative music, calm, counting crows, like pretty calm. But then there's also like Jackson 5 and I'm thinking, ooh, groovy. It, it really, it really depends on, because I've noticed it really depends <laughs> because I've noticed for me as an autistic parent, I'm holding a lot of my emotion in my body during the day. So to be able to settle and go to sleep at night, like that, that emotion's got to come out of my body. So some days it, it's black and blue around here, my counting crows. Or Good Night Elizabeth. Other days it's I Want You Back by the Jackson 5. And it gets the energy and the emotion that my body has been holding all day. To stay regulated out. So that I can settle and go to sleep. Nice. Literally blow off some steam, huh? Um, yeah. You already mentioned Billy Porter. Um, well, we've got it lined up for today. Favorite queer artist, Billy Porter, track called For What It's Worth. There's something happening here, but it is, ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there, telling me. Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. There's battle lines being drawn. Nobody's right if everybody's wrong. What's going just noticed the tattoo on your hand by the way i love it oh the uh heart one yeah yeah 
Um, it's one of my favorite set design. All right, cool. What's uh? Is there a story behind that? Yeah. Um. It was so. It's the um. Outline of a black heart and then a broken heart filled in with red. And it was to, I had gone through a lot of um, struggles and pain with people in my life and experienced some um, trauma. And this was kind of a way for me to tell myself that a broken heart at any point is able to be put back together or healed even if it looks different afterward so and my life does now so awesome yeah um we just listened to billy porter for what it's worth released 2020 um a, obviously the buffalo springfield uh um, original was released in 1966 and to be honest um I am completely new to Billy Porter. I'm I'm like from I'm I'm the type of person who knows Billy Porter from Pose and like maybe American Horror Story. But yeah, it was a great way to discover his musical career as well. Why did you select this for your favorite queer artist today? Um I selected it because of Pose actually. That's how I found out that awesome. Billy Porter also had music on um, Spotify, um, which is um, where I got my music. But I, um, it was a show that my wife and I watched together. And there was something for me about the way that Billy Porter represents themselves and that made me feel empowered and... Just in that I can do it, I can do it my way, which I really did not come to until probably the last two years of my journey. And I just, that song, for what it's worth, I remember my dad listening to the original and my dad has come a long way. In his interaction with my journey. Um, especially with my gender identity. But there's something about that being a song he used to listen to. And then me loving Billy Porter's edition. It felt like I was affirming who I was. And it reminded me of mine and my dad's journey together of finding a way forward and for what it's worth that means a lot to me does does your relationship with your dad also reflect on your relationship with your kids in any way it does um it influences who i am as a dad um it allows me to be silly and it allows me to do things differently and it is a process that I'm learning what it means to parent through my own trauma and what it means to be a transparent, what it means to be an autistic parent and what it means to just be a parent in general and how that influences kind of me being able to have a different even perspective for my own childhood and retrospective to like my parents and it's 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 a very existential interesting dynamic that i'm still navigating all right well um speaking of uh doing things our way and uh, navigating through whatever life throws at us um we're both queer, we're both uh, autistic, and their obvious connection is, fuck it, we don't deal with social norms. How, how do you experience um, that, that combination specifically? It, I kind of, I, I, even if I tried my hardest, and I used to, which was part of me, my self-harm and my 
suicidal ideation and my mental health struggles. I don't, I can't fit the norms. And that's okay. Like, that is okay. So, my wife and I have a thing where we're at the grocery store and someone will make a comment or it's, well, aren't you going to say hi? And I can say hi if I want. I can say hi if I don't want to. There are many different reasons people don't say hi. And there are many different reasons people do say hi. It is what it is. Like, there is too much for me as an autistic and transparent that goes into my daughter every day to make sure she has what she needs. That I could give a rat's ass about social norms. I really couldn't. And we are raising my daughter in a way that if if she's tired, you're tired. It's okay to take a break. If you don't feel comfortable giving someone a hug or saying hi just because you're supposed to, you don't have to. It's trying to break those things down. And just because you don't say hi in a moment doesn't mean that you're rude. So it's even though I was giving, I was giving those messages and I'm still giving those messages. I know that I don't have to repeat giving those messages as a parent and we can foster an environment where having a conversation and giving space to people interact in many different ways but do what do what is authentic to you and what is safe and best for you and oftentimes that is actually not going to fit in with the social norms and that's okay. I do feel like you've got a better grasp of what the social norms actually are because I'm kind of paranoid in that sense. Like what if people interpret me as rude just because I don't know what like the appropriate thing to do is here. Whereas I feel like you know what would be socially acceptable in a certain situation, but you just decided not to do it. So, you know, we both have ended up doing the same thing. It's like... But, um, but that's beyond the point. Um, like, how do you feel going about like explicitly ignoring social norms instead of, I don't know, just guess playing dumb, I guess, and pretending that you didn't realize that you were being rude or being perceived as rude? Um, I don't. I actually don't think I regularly explicitly ignore them um being diagnosed at 30 um which was now seven years ago um I put myself in a lot of different programs to try and learn skills because I was really distressed and I was getting a lot of comments well you were rude in this sense. You were, you did that. That was not appropriate. And I did not understand what the hell people were talking about. And I put myself through a lot of stress to try and learn them. And I thought I was learning the rules until I realized there was too many rules for me to learn and keep track of so what worked in one situation I thought I could apply to another and it didn't work that way for me and I went on this journey of like well if I can just change who I am then I'll fit in and that had a significant detrimental impact on my mental health so that's when I started doing more of the I'm not going to put myself in situations where I know what is what they're expecting of me is not something I either can or want to put myself through. And those are the ways I usually explicitly ignore is by not 
by choosing to decline an invitation or not participate in it that specific way. So I was um, I was thinking, like you were not only have social norms change for you, like pre and post diagnosis, but also I guess in a gender affirming care kind of way where people start expecting different social behavior from you how how does that how does how does that appear in your daily life um it's funny because even in terms of my music like it's funny because all um well not funny but i find myself if i'm listening to music that my family or um friends would view as not masculine enough I find myself turning it down when around them or around other cars. And I'm trying to get myself to stop that. But I've noticed that I have internalized some of those. Like, I have to make sure I'm presenting masculine enough. Or because I'm at a certain point in my transition journey that... I have to make sure I always buy clothes out of this section or um, I got to make sure I'm up on the sports games and all of that. And it really, it's challenging because it, it makes me feel like if I'm not on top of all of that, then it I'm not affirmed as who I am, which... It's not true. Like, I am who I am. That itself is affirming. But it's very interesting how I'm still navigating that I feel safest to be who I am in my own house with my wife and daughter. But then once we step outside the door or invite other people in, it's, it is still a challenge to navigate what that looks like. And even from the type of music I share to the clothes I wear to how I'm presenting to whether I'm even stimming in front of other people or not, it's a journey I'm navigating. I'm also pretty certain like um, having an uh, having an autism diagnosis or any type of diagnosed uh, type of neurodiversity like it can also be used as a reason to deny gender affirming care is that something that you experienced um i i have yet to experience both together um i in terms of my autism diagnosis i have encountered a lot of providers who are asking me, well, where's your caregiver? Um, even when in our community, there have been times where at the grocery store and the um, cashier will interact with my wife as if she's my caregiver and not me. Um, in terms of finding gender-affirming care, that's also been a challenge. Um, there are providers I do really well in terms of getting like my um, hormone therapy and that, but in terms of accessing primary care or my specialist, it's I'm still navigating pronouns. I'm still navigating coordinating care, I'm still navigating people that, finding providers that even are aware of what gender affirming care is, or that are not making a comment of when I say I'm autistic, well, what's your special skill? Are you into math, or like, what do you do? Um, so that that's been challenging um that it's been challenging i would love to be able to just have access to providers 
where it doesn't matter whether I'm autistic, it doesn't matter whether I'm trans, it doesn't matter whether I have a neuromuscular disease, it's all, I can just access quality affirming care. And that's what I hope to be able to take part in advocating for and shifting in the future because I know I'm not the only one and I know it's better, but I know access is not automatic either. Right. Um, I feel like we need a little bit of a breather before we, uh, before I actually burst out in tears because, um, I, I, I really feel you. Um, so, uh, here's favorite concert experience, track number three, Michael Franti and Spearback. Say hey, I love you. Category greatest live performance, say hey, I love you by Spearhead and Michael Franti. Um, we talked about overstimulation before, um, or like sensory overload. What made this concert stand out? Um, it was the first concert I went to with my sister back in 2006, and We sat all the way in the back so that we could leave easily. And I remember it because they were actually opening for the Counting Crows. Um, and I was there for them. And I remember thinking, I have no idea who this opener is. I don't care. And they came on stage and sang that song. And I had never... I remember how hard that year was and it made my body feel so good. Like I, even just the lyric, I love you and the, the reggae beat behind it and the fact that we were not sitting I didn't have anxiety because we were not stuck in the middle rows we were not up front we were way in the back and I had my headphones to block some of the noise and it was just a really amazing amazing experience and they were by far the best opener I have ever seen. I love how you start lighting up as soon as you start telling about that night. Like, you just yeah. start smiling ear to ear. I love it. Um, so what was, what was the, what was, what was the room like? Was it, was it busy at all? Was it a large room? No, um, it was actually an outdoor amphitheater and it was not, crowded at all um it was at night they had the lights were even when the um they came on the lights were still low um it was the amphitheater in the neighborhood that I grew up in and if I could transport to that night like 
It was just, they came on that stage. And the sound was, the sound was perfect. Like, everything blended together. Like, I, it, I don't, I just, it was perfect. It, every element was perfect. It seemed like if you could transfer to that night, you would only need like five minutes at the end of each day with your, for your little bit of music instead of your 15 minutes. And you know what? That That's true. I may actually have to um, add the song actually to my uh, five minutes at night because it really does. And it's the first song that I um, played for my wife that we danced to together. So I yeah, it's very special. So um, how how do you experience concerts? Like, do you easily get overstimulated? Like, do you easily get in that sensory overload at shows? Um, I do if it's indoor settings. Um, I don't. I actually don't do indoor concerts anymore. That's too much for me. Um, especially the smaller venues where it's standing only. Um, those are very overstimulating for me. Sensory-wise, physically, I just don't do them. Um, I can do outdoor concerts that are not festivals. If I bring my headphones and um, we're actually sitting in an end seat or a seat where it's um, disability access, um, I don't sit on the lawn or anything um, because I found that to be overloading. I need to have an easy escape route. Or exit, um, and I need my headphones in an outdoor setting for a concert. It sounds like, um, especially the uh, indoor concerts. It sounds like you learned that the hard way. What What did you What did you do to cope in that in that moment? Um, in all honesty, I had a meltdown every single time. Um, so the way I cope now is by not doing them. Okay, but like in that in that specific moment, you just had a meltdown, and then and then what? Like someone escorted you out of the room. I mean, if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. I just remember, like, um, it happened to me once where I um, it happened to me once where I was like just overstimulated, especially from the audio, um, because it was just so loud everywhere. Even though the band band themselves weren't actually like loud music or anything, but like. A friend was like, okay, you know, I'm going to grab some water. Let's walk out of the room for a second. What What did you do? Um, I um, I had a friend and family. Um, both times I had to be escorted out. And I ended up rocking back and forth on the floor outside of the venue until I was able to calm. And then we had to leave all together. Um, it, they were not positive experiences. Um, it's It was really hard being in that state where all I could do was sit on the floor and rock back and forth um, with my hands covering my ears and my eyes closed, trying to get the stimulation to go down. And that was... That was, though, before I got the um, autism diagnosis. So I... Shit, that sounds heavy. Yeah, I didn't know... I didn't know why what was happening was happening either. So in the um, friends and family I was with didn't know... Like, they didn't know why was what was happening was happening. So it was like, what is wrong with you? Like... It's it. It was not. They were not positive experiences. Right. Yeah, let's take it at that then, because it also looks like you're having trouble, like talking about it. Um. So um. Then 
after all of that happens, at the end of the day, you know, um, your brain needs to process all of this. And like I particular, when it comes to like my 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 branch of autism, I I guess, like I just rarely pick up on things and go along my merry way, and then later my brain is like, oh, maybe I should have done this and this, that and that, or, oh, this is actually what was happening. Or, you know, it kind it kind of like when you think of a snappy comeback two days after the fact, like that, that's kind of like how my brain feels the entire time. But in a previous conversation we had, you said music helps you with this. H how? It helps me make associations. Um, But they also, I have a really hard time um, putting what is happening internally for me into words um, to be able to process. And it's easier for me to connect music that's representing what happened in my day or like kind of spark that processing process well yeah no i, I get what you're saying but, um yeah um so it's um and that's how i music does that for me like i like i can actually have a conversation with while listening to music that can actually help me connect more to what's happening in, internally for me than what I can if there's just silence and I gotta think of it off the top of my head. I don't do that well. I also am really repetitive and music kind of helps. Like, it's kind of like, it's it's the track list to the way that my brain processes the events in the day for me. Uh, I, I kind of like that um, connection to repetitive because, you know, people without a diagnosis wouldn't necessarily say repetitive, I guess. They would just call it a routine. Or is that, is that, is that too short-sighted of me? I, I don't know. I have where I have people in my life who are not autistic that will say routine or will tell me I'm being repetitive. But then I also know in their own ways that they have routine and repetition impacts them differently. So, but for me, like routine, routine is how I do my day because it helps me stay regulated. Repetitive is like my brain. It, it gets on these loops and I have no idea how my wife is not autistic and her brain works very differently than mine and mine works very differently than hers. So her track list is gonna, is not a track list that's mine and I, we have tried figuring out, like, how does this work for you? And the only way we know is by having that conversation. So I, I wouldn't call it short-sighted. I just, I know everyone has their own experience of how they connect to their own processing and how their brain works. So, and I think the way that I have found works best is that, have conversations about it. Um, it provides insight and it helps get to know people, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, thank you for having this conversation with me. Um, yeah, the way I um, kind of visualize what you were, what you were, um, what you were putting out there is like when you've got a routine, it's like an actual like track list, maybe like putting on an album then the repetition is when a record keeps on skipping and then and then you know if, if if a brain works in a different way you will still have the same routine but you're able to put like the playlist on shuffle i don't know 
um, like you're doing the same thing but in a different order. I, 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 I'm, I don't know. This is kind of how I try and visualize it. Um, but um, uh, we're we've already been recording for quite a while, and we still have one track to go. Um, it's from a movie. And you need to know, I'm terrible with movies. If you ask me, hey, have you seen this? The answer is most likely to be no. However, um, this recording got cancelled, uh, which gave me the time to watch a movie. So I have, in fact, seen the movie. I, for the life of me, don't remember what it's called, but I've definitely seen it. Um... The last song of the day is My Own Drum from the movie. And this is where you need to fill in here, Chris, please. Vivo. Vivo, that's it. Yeah, Lin-Manuel Miranda is just fucking everywhere, including in this movie. Um, but this song, it fucking slaps. It fucking slaps. Why did you why did you select it for today? I've got my suspicions, but um it's <laughs> my daughter and I when we were watching that music, that movie together like we just started dancing and singing and it's just so affirming like we all have our own drum. We march to the beat of our own drum. I don't care, it's okay, do you, and I want to do me every day, I want my daughter to do her every day, I want my, I want everyone to feel safe and affirmed enough to be authentically who they are every day, and have that be celebrated, and that's, that song is my theme song for that. Yeah, and that's also what I loved about the movie, like, just the way that character was coded. Like, the literal only thing missing was maybe, like, I don't know, some some, some pills. But let's not keep uh, you listening in any suspense. Um, I, I maybe, maybe there is no suspense at all, and you've already heard the song, but that's not up to me to decide um chris can i thank you th so 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 much for being on this episode um i had a blast if you also had a blast listening to this you can support this show financially through patreon.com slash queer sounds if you don't have the spare change lying around but you still want to uh, give us a shout out you can do so at queer sounds pod on twitter tumblr and ig um if you're interested in being in uh, being part of the Queer Sounds Discord, getting some chick, uh, getting some stickers, uh, partaking in our Queer Sounds Album of the Week thing we've got going on, that's once again you can get you can get access to those things. Patreon.com/slash/QueerSoundsPod. Um, Chris, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you all for listening. This is from the Netflix movie Vivo. My own drum. Cheers. Team will be instrumental. <gasps> instrumental. Ha, see what I did there? I made a pawn. Ha, I'm having fun. Ha, I'm never done. Ha, I'm just a one.
best, they want to buy it. Like, walk to the stage and all you see is fashion lights. Like, Everybody scream like I'm Janet and Mike. <laughs> Get crazy with it. Once you meet me, no, you won't forgive me. I'm in my own lane and I won't be quitting. Make it bounce, bounce, bounce to the beat. We lit it. We bust to the beat of our old jump. 